Hey there, everybody. It's Tina Conrad, aka DJ Breast Cancer. And I'm here with a very special guest as we're digging into mental health this season. Her name is Nikki. She was diagnosed with breast cancer um, nearly five years ago. Um, you know, definitely involved into her work and trying to find that balance. And then along comes a recurrence. So we're going to kind of talk about that. Um, she also has is going to talk about the impact of cancer that it has on a caregiver, her husband, and you know the the mental um, parts that kind of come along with that. So I'm really excited to have her here with me today. I know her story will move you. It has definitely moved me. So welcome, Nikki. It's been it's so good to see you. Hi, it's good to see you too, Tina. Good morning to you. Good afternoon to me. Exactly. Yes. So if you can't tell by the accent, uh, Nikki is in uh, London area, right? No, I'm not. I'm in the um, the Midlands, bang in the middle, in, in the central of UK. I think people get confused because the whole of the UK is on the same time zone. Mm -hmm. So when people think London time, that we're in London. But no, I'm about two hours from London, right in the middle of the UK. Okay, well, awesome. Well, it's so good to have you. Um, we'd love to know a little bit from your words, who is Nikki? Um, Nikki is, um, I was told the other day I was a badass, literally <laughs> word badass. Um, Nikki is a, um, an eternal optimist. Um, she is, um, crazy. She loves life. And I think that really is my thing. I just love life. I live with joy. Um, I'm the crazy lady that's walking around with the dog, talking to the dog, um, talking to the birds in the garden, um, talking to herself around the shopping centre um, and I just enjoy life I really do I'm good the good the bad and the ugly um, I take it all in my stride and um, I just love life like I said um, yeah that's it really I love it I love it and I know for me like I felt like I loved life too and then obviously cancer happens in it kind of puts a different appreciation, you know, in some ways, in some ways you love life more, you know, and then you're kind of balanced too with the feelings that maybe you, you missed out on some things as well, you know, so um, maybe we can talk a little bit about your first instance with breast cancer. Yeah, it was back in January, 2016. I had actually started a new job on the Monday um, and um my husband rang me at lunchtime and said, uh, the consultant wants to see you about the results of your mammogram. We've got to go tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And neither of us, we just kept going, is that good or bad? You know, when you're like, do they want to see me because I'm clear? Um, so I literally had to take the second afternoon off work. So the second day I had to literally say, I'm going um, for some test results. Um, and we, we sat in the wait, and I can remember this, we sat in the waiting room, literally going, do you think I've got it? Or do you not think I've got it? I just got no clue at that stage, but I really didn't understand whether they would have us go back to see them if it was all clear. In my mind, it was like, well, it kind of must be something. Otherwise mm -hmm. they'd just write a letter and say, and then the people who were literally in the consultant's office before us came out and the girl said to the dad, it's not cancer, it's not cancer. And so we both looked at each other and thought, oh, maybe it's maybe it's not then, maybe it's not. Um, but you know, when you walk in and you feel the mm -hmm. atmosphere, I just felt, and he said, I've just brought nurse, I've brought Joanne with me to explain everything. And I was like, and in that moment, I was like, yeah, it's cancer. And, and so when he said, I'm really sorry, yeah, it's breast cancer, I was like, yeah, that's fine. And I literally did go, yeah, okay. Well, you know, because I was expecting it in that moment. And it wasn't until he said, and a lot of things I just didn't hear. And then I heard the word mastectomy. And, and that was the minute that I, I broke down and started to cry. It was just, and I'm, I'm even to this day, I don't really know why it was that word that just broke me. Because he was talking quite a lot in between telling me I'd got it and telling me that, you know, I was gonna to have to have a mastectomy. But it wasn't until then that I sort of like, I think maybe just the penny dropped and I was like, okay, yeah. that's quite serious. Cause I'd had two friends who'd had breast cancer like literally two years um, before me and they both had lumpectomies. 
So I kind of got in my head, okay, if it is cancer, I'll just have a lumpectomy like Liz and I'll be okay. And then when it was a mastectomy, I was like, okay, this is quite. And then I was like, okay, I've got, I, I had got, um, I was a double G cup. Um, I'm putting my hands out, showing you how big my boobs are. <laughs> um, nobody, nobody's listening to me, can see me. But I had gigantic, my husband used to say double G stand, it stood for gigantic, gigantic boobs. Um, and so I, I then was like very positive and I was like, okay, I'll get smaller boobs. That's positive. Even in that meeting, I was like, oh, and, and I was thinking, oh, I'll be able to wear pretty bras because I always had to wear like shoplifters, shop putters bras with the like, you know, four clips at the back, nothing pretty. Um, so I was thinking, I was trying to think of all the positives. Um, and then I start, and then I just kept having these moments of, oh my God, I'm going to go fat because I just lost loads of weight. And I was like, I'm going to go fat again because I'll have chemo. And then I said, can I have... Can, I, can you give me skinny chemo? Um, and I knew there was no such thing as skinny chemo, but I was like, can you write down in your notes, Nikki is to have skinny chemo. And the nurse was like, yeah, that's fine. So so that was the diagnosis. And, and I was, by the time we'd left the hospital, I was fine. Um, I say I was fine. Obviously I wasn't fine, but mentally I was kind of like strong and thinking, right, this is it. And I don't know about you, but then it's the whole having to tell everybody. Yeah. And I think actually that's the hardest. And my mum didn't even know that I was going for tests. So I had to tell her right from, you know, right, I've got some news and tell her, tell my sister, tell my best friends, my nephews who were only young. Well, well they were 13 and 15 at the time. And it's all that that's hardest. I think, and this goes on, we we'll talk about my husband later on, but I think for you, I felt in control throughout the whole process of cancer, I felt in control. I knew how I was feeling. I knew what was gonna happen next. And it was kind of my journey and that was that was fine. But I think for everybody else, it, now I look back and think it must be awful to see somebody you love in so much pain, whether it's chemo or, you know, mastectomy. Um, with, it's like having a herd of elephants crash across your chest constantly after that surgery. Um, so it was it was that telling everybody that was hard then um, and not wanting sympathy. I really hate the one thing I didn't like about having cancer and telling people I got cancer was kind of that automatic pity party that you get from people that, yeah. you know, I'm sorry. And, and I don't know what I don't know whether it, it's a global thing, but the whole tilted head when you tell them, <laughs> they just turn their head to the side. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, it's fine. You didn't give it me. I'm okay. Uh, you know, and they're, oh, stay positive. Yeah, I'm, I'm positive. Um, so it was all that kind of pity party that I wanted to avoid. Um, and I wasn't very active on social at the time. So I didn't, whilst it wasn't a secret within anybody that came across me, um, I didn't do the social, a social media journey. I didn't, I didn't sort of talk about it on social media. Um, and so it was quite a, I don't know, it was like a much quieter journey for me. Um, and I had chemo. So I had my, I had my mastectomy and um, my reduction on the other side. Because obviously I'd have looked a bit weird with a very small implant and still a G-cup on my right side. That was mm -hmm. the big thing I worried about in the first four days. When they said they were doing a mastectomy, I was like, but I'll have one flat and one double G-cup. And my husband was like, they won't leave you like that. And I was like, well, what if they do? And he was like, no, they're not going to leave you like that because you'll just go round in circles. You'll be kind of <laughs> lopsided. So, so as soon as four days later, they said, right, we'll do the reduction on the same side, the other side. I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, and so I went straight back to work the next day. So I went to work the next morning to tell them that I'd been diagnosed with cancer, but I was okay. And because it was a new job, it's like you said before, I just kind of threw myself into work. So throughout the whole process, I was just like 100% committed to work. That was my biggest worry. I went back to work and apologised for having cancer. I was like, I'm so sorry. They were like, you're apologising? I was like, yeah, I'm really sorry because it's going to, 
you know, mess everything up. You've just given me this, this big job and I'm going to be here for two weeks and then I'm going to be off for eight. And they were like, it's fine. Don't worry. Um, and, and the same through chemo. I was kind of determined. I don't know about you, but I was just determined not to just give in and just lie down and let chemo happen to me. I just wanted to take a bit of control um, and going to work between chemo sessions was what just what kept me kept me going mm -hmm. mentally as much I know physically it wasn't that good for me um but mentally it was it was the thing that I needed to do um it wore me out physically and it was tough um and I think it's like probably having it's probably like childbirth you forget because when I look back now I think oh chemo was okay and, and people go no 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 you were really you were poorly and I was like what was I was I that poorly um but because you do don't you you forget yeah you, you do forget that the the brain is a, a an amazing thing and it it just allows you to forget that real pain even though you know it wasn't pleasant um but yeah I went through chemo I didn't have to have radiation um so I just sort of finished chemo um and then tried to kind of carry on with my life and just tried to get normalcy back into my life as, as soon as I as soon as I could he was my glass half empty to my glass half full I'm always positive he was quite he was a negative person in in a in a certain respect he was a worrier um and yeah as soon as I started to recover he started to go downhill mentally um and that was a bigger battle than than the cancer, to be honest with you. Yeah, and that kind of leads us to the whole mental health conversation. Um, I, I think it's really tough, you know, and you you, you touched on it a couple of times. It, it was your journey, even though he was along the sidelines of it. Um, yeah. Actually, I just saw a quote today, which was uh, really fascinating, kind of like leads into all of this. But um it's by Rumi and it says, it's your road and yours alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. And I think that there's a lot in that in that we need people along the sidelines, but sometimes it's hard for people too to process it when they're not in your shoes. Um, you know, I, I know my husband is, is kind of like protective of me and, and it's a really nice trait and endearing trait, but sometimes too, it's like, but you can't really protect me either you know not from everything you know and I think that that sometimes hurts people on the other side when they see people they love and they can't do anything about it yeah. um and, and it, it's tough it, it weighs on people's souls and and just like you own your own journey he kind of owns his own journey too yeah. you know and yeah. and and it's and it's interesting that you say that so if you don't mind telling the listeners because your story is is really like you've been through a lot, Nikki, like you, you really <laughs> yeah. have. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it, but, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, so obviously, you know, there, there was an impact of your cancer or, or you think it was, there obviously could be many, many things from your husband's life yeah. that also weighed yeah. into his darkness, but you kind of talk of a whole period where he, where it was dark years. Yeah, it was. I mean, um, it was literally, I finished treatment in the September. We went on holiday in the December and in the January anxiety just got seemed to be a switch overnight. And now I look back at photographs of us, um, even when I was waiting for diagnosis and, and throughout the whole thing, you know, when you look back and I look back at his face on photos and I can, I can see pain in his eyes. Mm -hmm. It's really weird because I thought he was fine and, he had his wobbles, but, you know, he shaved my head when I was losing my hair and we, we took joy out. You know, we had a bit of fun about that. Um, we used to have fun at, on chemo. We had little picnic parties at chemo and we had like rituals that we did throughout the process that kind of kept it upbeat, if you like. But when I look back at photos of him, there was definitely a bit of a, you know, you could see the worry and concern on his face. And so, yeah, he started to get real severe anxiety in January um, and just started to just constantly worry about cancer coming back. Um, and, and no matter what I said or friends said or doctors said to him, 
um you know he just was worried constantly and it wasn't just worry it was severe anxiety um that caused him to have all kinds of physical issues as well as mental so he was physically not well he was a six foot five burly builder build kind of guy real people's person loved people who within six months just didn't want to do anything or go anywhere he was just in you, you I didn't really understand depression at the time I really just thought what the hell come on and I have to admit you know that I I just didn't know how to deal with it and I wrote the other day I was writing something I was writing sometimes I actually felt quite selfishly like I was being cheated out of kind of my survival year like it should have been a great time I should have been getting my health back getting my appearance back getting my fitness back and starting to feel joy in my life um instead of which I was trying so hard to keep my job going to keep the house going and to try and make my husband like kind of shake him out of this darkness that just it seemed like every single week he was worse and worse and worse and we we were under the doctor he was on antidepressants but nothing seemed to be nothing seemed to be cutting it for him at all it was so heartbreaking to see this beautiful funny man just go downhill in like 12 months and I would say he was fully blown depressed um and then he just couldn't find solace he found he could find nothing at all we tried I mean, he went to counselling mm-hmm. and I don't know, talking therapy, they talk, he, he would start to feel better and then he'd go back again and start to talk about it again and just come home and he was worse again because I think that kind of just churned it up in his head constantly. And you're right, it wasn't just cancer. There were other things that had happened. We'd had a business that had failed and, you know, he, he was married previously. So even that kind of came up in this anxiety, depression. Um but it was it was cancer that triggered it. And his daughter, my stepdaughter, said he just he loved you too much and he just couldn't cope with the thought of you dying. Um, and no matter what I said, I'm not going anywhere. It's not coming back because he was like, oh, it's not coming back, um, which is quite ironic now, really. Um, but he could not find any solace in anything. So and sadly, he turned to um, vodka, which... Mark was a drinker, but he wasn't a spirits drinker. He drank spirits when we were on holiday. Um, But he very quickly admitted to becoming an alcoholic. And he was, I was, the change in this man uh, that I'd known for 16 years. um, And I just, you know, this, this available drug that's called alcohol that can just change somebody so dramatically. um, And that's what he turned to and he was drinking uh, heavily and I mean a bottle a litre bottle of vodka a day um for eight months um he was then taken he was taken into hospital a couple of times because he wasn't eating either so it's quite a battle to try and get him to eat as well as trying to get him to do do anything um and sadly he went into hospital in the May he was so bad we were told he'd got days to live um I never really believed it. Although the first time I went to went in the hospital when they told us that, it took me 40 minutes to actually, and I, I laugh, but it's not, it took me 40 minutes to leave his room because I just kept thinking, what if this is it? And he's going to, and he, all right, I'll go back and say something else. And then I was, if anybody had been watching me, that <laughs> I just thought, what's she doing? I was in and out the room at the end of visiting time. I was backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards. But anyway, he was in hospital for six weeks um, and every week he was in there because he was getting better. I was like, this is another week that he's not drinking. This is another week that he's off because he'd only done he'd done a couple of like home detoxes that were he'd managed two weeks of not drinking. I think his longest was six um, and that was in like 18 months. Um, And but every week he was in hospital. I don't know it's not cruel is it I don't think it's cruel but I was thinking keep him in another week because then that's another week that he's not drinking yeah and then that probably felt like he was getting stronger and yeah I mean yeah I mean he was so fragile anybody who'd have gone to visit him wouldn't have recognized him he he just lost all his weight 
Um, and then sadly, May the 30th, 2019, I visited him as normal. Um, I left him at seven o'clock um, with the normal, see you tomorrow, I love you, I'll call you in the morning. Um, and he passed away at quarter midnight that night. Um, and he'd actually got sepsis, um, which I, I, there was something weird because his feet were so cold. Um, and on reflection, my friend said that's the circulation starting to slow down. His hands and his feet were cold and he was complaining his feet were cold. So I'd put like two pairs of socks and two blankets over his feet. Um, and as I left, I said to the nurse, he's, he's, he's really cold. Um, but yeah, he, he, it was, it was, it, I, I, clearly it wasn't out of nowhere because he was in hospital. But in my mind, I thought he was getting better. Everybody else, I don't think other people did. You know, my mum was like, he was never going to get better. Alcohol just ravaged his body, took everything from him, and he was just so poorly. Um, but I really did. I just thought he was going to get better and we were going to be okay and everything would just eventually get back to how it was. Um, so, so yeah, so I'd had, I'd just never... I had cancer throughout 2016 and then 2017 was anxiety, 2018 was alcoholism and 2019 was grief. Yeah. Um, and to top it all, I was also made redundant six months after um, Mark died. So from the job that had kept me going throughout this all, they, I then was made redundant. Um, and I think losing Mark was like the 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 bit that broke me a little bit, like I was still keeping everything going and I was going to work. I went, <laughs> and I am a bit, I just think that I'm, I'm so crazy. Cause I literally, I went back to work two weeks after Mark died. Um, Cause I just didn't know what else to do. I was, I'm not a, like I said, I'm not a tea and sympathy person. I'm not a pity party person. I didn't really want to just keep sitting at home feeling sorry for myself. And for me, I've just got to get back into some normality. Um, but I don't think, in hindsight, I don't think that was the right thing for me because I was just burying how I was feeling. I was just going to work, cracking on. And then as soon as I got in the car, I was just in tears. I'd drive an hour to work and an hour home crying, um, which is not safe. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't have a crash because sometimes I was like, tears running down my face and I was trying to drive on a on a motorway in in the UK um but gladly I didn't have any accidents um and it I hadn't had any counseling or any kind of therapy at all until about three months after Mark died and I met this amazing lady on the phone called Peggy she was a telephone counsellor um and she was just oh Peggy was just incredible um, I don't know what she did. She just brought me out of the darkness and mindful. And I discovered a couple of things in between time, which I probably have, you know, I'll go back and talk about to try and help me cope with what was going on with Mark. Because obviously 12, 18 months of this darkness and depression, it does start to affect you. Yeah. Um, so I'd found solace in, in spirituality with um, Gabrielle Bernstein. Um, and I'd also discovered mindfulness. And so that was starting to help me. Um, but then when he died, it was kind of like, well, the universe, I was like, well, the universe can go and do one because the universe hasn't, what's the universe done for me? It took me a little while to, to get that faith back, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and I think Peggy just said, go back to your mindfulness, go remember because I think there was so many emotions of regret and grief and I was just I was playing back every single conversation we'd had and could I have done this should I have done that what if I'd understood more I didn't really understand it what if I'd been more sympathetic should I have tried to stop him doing this you know I just didn't and I was living in constant turmoil of overplaying and playing back all the things that had happened in the last sort of 18 months um, and I think as soon as I sort of stopped that inner critic voice that like mm -hmm. voice keep telling me you know I remember one day actually saying you killed him you killed him because you didn't understand and you couldn't help him why couldn't you help him um 
and I always forgot I'd had cancer. People would, my friends would say to me, but Nikki, you've been through so much. Yeah. And I was like, I know, but, and I never kind of got to that, you know, like I said before, I never got to celebrate, if you like, and feel the joy of having beaten cancer for want of a better term. Um, and so, yeah, so grief is pretty shit, I'll tell you. <laughs> grief is is kind of a very powerful emotion. Of all the emotions, that's the one that that got me. Yeah, and I think with it comes so many others. You know what I mean? Like there's, grief is real sneaky. You know, like yeah. it, it can, you know, one, it can come up on you on any time or you know a trigger can happen like it it really um and, and you can kind of think like hey yeah I got this under control I'm having a good couple of days and then pan you know bam it just like kind of hits you out of nowhere and sucker punches you but I do think it's really important th that whole inner critic thing and I, I think we all really struggle yeah. with with that like we really have to learn to talk to ourselves like we would like we would talk to our friends Friend, yeah. you know, and, and just be yeah. kind and kind of yeah. more gentle with ourselves. And it's hard when you have that inner critic and it's telling you all the things you could have or couldn't have done. I mean, I, I get it, but I kind of chatting about just that inner critic and like, you know, giving yourself grace, you know, and, and being kind to yourself. Cause you know, you can, you can go down a rabbit hole really fast, you know, about all the things you could or couldn't have done. If you want to go a little bit into this book um, by by Gabrielle Bernstein, it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it is, and 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 to this day, I can't remember who put me on to Gabby Bernstein. It was a conversation I had with somebody, um, and I wish I could recall who it was to say thank you for for the gift of Gabrielle Bernstein. Um, but as soon as I started to read this book, and Mark was ill. He wasn't in hospital, but he was ill. And I was um, flying to Switzerland with work. I'd got um, a conference in Switzerland. I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. And I was like, and I was sat, this is just idyllic. I was sat by this lake um, in this lovely town called Rappersville in Switzerland. Um, and I just opened this book by Gabby Bernstein thinking, well, we'll give this universe malarkey a, a go <laughs> for one of an, a better saying. Um, and it just, um, it really spoke to me. It, it, I've always been a, of some form of belief. Um, I've always believed in God, I suppose. Um, I've, I didn't really know who I believed in and what I believed God was or who I believed God was, but I, I've always had some kind of faith, if you like. Um, but the universe has your back and the whole Gabrielle Bernstein, every single thing that she talks about from a spirituality point of view, just really kind of felt like it was holding me. It just felt like it was giving me peace, giving me some love, talking to me about the fact that, and I guess it is that kind of everything will be fine. Everything will work out. You know, the, the universe works in ways to help you and to support you. And it's where I started to really kind of get into the law of attraction um, and manifestations. And I think I was talking to somebody the other day and I was talking about when I was younger and I was ill because I was quite ill when I was younger. Um, I always believed everything was going to be fine. And I always had faith in the fact that I would be fine. And I think I was always working on the law of attraction. I just didn't realize it was the law of attraction you know, throughout my cancer, I think that I was always a believer of the law of attraction without really knowing that was what it was, if that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. um, but I just got, so I, I got into this, the, the whole world of spirituality and the world of Gabrielle Bernstein um, and Esther Hicks. And I got into Abraham um, and it just has, it's given me so much peace. It's given me a lot of comfort Um Mark always believed in spirits. He always believed in in something being once you once you die. He didn't believe that was it, and so there have been so many things that have happened. Because Gabrielle Bernstein talks about asking for a sign from the universe. So 
picking some and it can be anything she picked an owl I chose a butterfly I just said let butterflies be my sign um and whenever I need a sign you just ask the universe you know I'm, I'm struggling with this can you give me a sign that I'm on the right path um and I very often once Mark had passed away I would would ask for a sign that he was okay ask for a sign that we were okay that he forgave me which I knew there was nothing to forgive but I did at the time I was like you know do you forgive me and then random oh it's just the my signs just came at me left right and center um and like just kind of like knocked me off my feet sometimes um and those non-believers that I know would say well do you not think it's just a coincidence that you saw a, a vinyl on the back of a car with the butterflies and I was like that's my sign and they were like well it's just a coincidence isn't it I was like no there's no such thing and, and I read a book by Oprah Winfrey um which is um what's it called um what I know for sure um which is a great book as well by Oprah Winfrey and in it she says that in her belief there are no such thing as coincidences they're just all little miracles and I think as soon as you think that, and as soon as you know, you believe that, then it just makes all those little things that happen to you in your life, just give you even more comfort. Um, and, and I know for me that I surround myself with, with joy and love and peace. Um, and I ask for signs all the time. I talk to Mark um, all the time. Like I said, at the beginning, I'm that crazy lady that walks around talking to herself. Um, but I do, and and it, and listening and reading Gabrielle Bernstein just gave me a, a lot of faith that things would be fine, that I would get better, that I that I would be better out of this, and not just get better, but be better, do better things. Um, and when I was made redundant, it kind of I went back to the universe, how's your back? And I was like, yeah. I've been given the gift of redundancy because I would never have jumped from that job. That jump job was kind of my comfort blanket. And I thought, well, the universe is trying to tell me something here. Um, and, and there's a sign, there's a meaning behind this. Um, and I'd been, I'd been, I've been a coach, I've done coaching, I've studied psychology, and I've done quite quite a lot of work in, in kind of the human mind and the CBT. Um, and I was like, right, this is the universe telling me that I should do something different with my life that, you know, I'm meant for better things. Um, and to learn from everything that's that's happened to me. Um, and so I did. So I've studied mindfulness to teach mindfulness. So I now teach mindfulness. Um, I've been studying um, something called rapid transformational therapy um, by a lady called Marissa Pia. Um, and the whole rationale behind that is that that is like a clinical, um, a form of clinical hypnotherapy combined with CBT and NLP. And basically can free people from depression, anxiety, phobias, addictions, which is why I started to study it, because I wanted to, if I couldn't save Mark, I wanted to try and save future Marks, if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. It's beautiful. I, I mean, like I waffled quite a lot there and probably gone, <laughs> off track, gone off track a couple of times, but... It, that's the essence of, of what Gabrielle, you know, I do feel Gabrielle Bernstein kind of saved my sanity, if you like. I mean, I think it's, it's really beautiful. I do feel sometimes it's not the road we maybe picked or the, you know, how, how we would have thought of it, but sometimes when you see it, you know, from a different view, it, it kind of can make sense, you know? And, and I think that that's, you know, I, I, I too have a book, you know, and it, that I love and I refer back to it all the time. And, and actually I read it prior to cancer, but the learnings that it gave were so helpful to me, even throughout cancer, you know, it's kind of like that, that, you know, comfortable blanket that just means so much to you, but it was uh, when bad things happen to good people. And, you know, it, it made me think like that my cancer is not a punishment. And, you know, so it, it does, it did help in a lot of ways. And again, I read that like long before cancer, but it was, it was a rabbi who was, you know, trying to process, you know, his, his son's loss. And here he is trying to counsel people, you know, people that come to him and rely on him as a rabbi. 
and he's trying to make sense of his own loss and his own life and like what does this mean and so he he wrote this just beautiful book and you know one scene where he just describes you know a tapestry and like seeing it from god's eyes is like this beautiful tapestry but you turn it over and it's it's a mess you know it's not yeah. it starts it stops it's you know a blend of colors it's clearly not perfect from the one side but from the other side it's pure perfection you know and yeah. it, and and it's really beautiful i think you know i'm a really visual person too so just to kind of talk about that and kind of see it then like in, in your story too, it, it kind of, all of these things, while they don't maybe make sense, if you turn it over, they kind of do, you know, and, and lead you to where you're at. And so, you know, I, I, I hear, I'm going to have to read this universe has your back. And, and I too believe in science. And I think that, you know, um, you know, I, I had a friend, she was metastatic breast cancer and, you know, she, she believed in, in cardinals. And now I just see cardinals all the time. And, we had a funny conversation about worms, um, on a podcast that we did and just literally three days after she died. And there's such a symbolism of three days, you know, after a person dying, you know, I, I saw the largest worm I have ever seen in my entire life. And like, she got my attention in only the way that she could, you know, and I just feel that, you know, you know, they are, they're kind of like nutrients for our soul, you know, these signs, and they just help us help us to feel that, life does have purpose and that it has meaning and that there is something beyond, you know, and I think that that's really, really important for us to know just as human beings. I agree. I, I think if I didn't think that there was something beyond life and something else, then I would not, I think my life would be less happy if I didn't believe that, if I didn't feel that. I always think it's like uh, when I was little about believing in Santa Claus, when you're young I always think I always used to think well where's the risk the biggest risk is not believing than believing you know and if there is Santa Claus then great and if it's not true and I always used to think the same about believing in God or something you know where's the risk really uh, and I know that <laughs> probably sounds very strange um but I always think where's the, I always used to think well where's the risk just I, I just have faith and believe and now I think if I didn't have what I've got now the faith that I've got now, I don't know. I know I wouldn't feel like I do um, about my secondary occurrence. And I know I wouldn't feel like I do about Mark. I can look back now and be grateful for the years I had. And it took a bit, it took a while, but I, I then wrote, you know, I did write, I wrote letters to him after he died. And I wrote, I'd written a, quite a lot to him while he was ill, when he was ill and I couldn't speak to him properly when he wasn't, conversing fully because he was under the influence of alcohol I wrote a lot to him um, and I've written a lot since and almost kind of um, feeling that um, I can't remember what I was gonna say that that love and that that faith that there is something and there is a purpose and there is a reason and that I can just be grateful for what I had rather than looking back and always feeling those emotions of of anger and and regret and sorrow and should I have done better and what should what could I have done all of that's gone now I just feel grateful for what I had I, I feel grateful for the fact that I knew Mark Hadcroft for 16 years because he was a wonderful man um, and that last 12 months shouldn't really define yeah. what stays in my, my mind about him no it's really beautiful I mean yeah. I mean, I, it's just, your story is so beautiful, Nikki. And even these, these writings, like I, I always say, like, write it out, even if you don't share it, even if you don't share it with the person you're writing about, it yeah, just yeah. helps it to helps you to process what is happening yeah. to yeah. you, you know? And I yeah. think that it's so, it's so important. Um, yeah. So you touched on your recurrence. So maybe let's talk about that. Like, when did that happen? What kind of signs? Um, you know, I, I know wow. before we started recording, you had a mastectomy and now it's back. And yeah, you know. this is a weird one. This is another one of Mark. I think it's Mark in play here um, because it was a month ago. So I've been diagnosed a month. Um, and you know, as, as I know, once you've had cancer, you're like fast tracked. If anything happens, if you've got any strange effects, like I had a blood clot, a serious blood clot a couple of years ago, and that was caused by tamoxifen. 
Um, but as soon as I went to the doctors with breathing problems, I was literally in hospital within an hour and, you know, tested and diagnosed and that's it. So, so a few weeks ago, I was just walking around the house, absolutely fine. Um, and then I had this pain in my shoulder and it was like somebody had shot me with a gun. It's like, well, I've never been shot, but it's how I imagine being shot feels. <laughs> so it was this, this sharp pain in my shoulder that literally stopped me and took my breath made me put my I, I literally put my arm up um I'm showing you everybody that's listening I am acting this out now so that you can see <laughs> really you can't this is what I'm doing I'm waving my arms around um and I literally put my my hand to where my where I'd been shot um and found this lump and this lump that was in my mastectomy side like you say if you have a mastectomy I kind of believed I don't need to check that side because um, there's nothing there um, and also, of course, we haven't I haven't had a face to face oncology appointment for 18 months because of COVID. Um, so nobody's checked that side for two years. Um, but there was this lump and I was like, OK, there's a lump there, but maybe that's what the pain was. And cancer doesn't hurt. So it's probably not cancer. So. OK, so I know, Nikki, you were saying on the side where you felt the pain, you then felt a lump and you had not had an oncology appointment in like almost two years basically yeah yeah and so all day I just kept going back and because the pain in my shoulder went as soon as I found the lump and now in in, in hindsight now I think that was Mark sending a, a a sign sending an arrow or a bullet into the shoulder just to say Nikki check that side there's something there uh, and I really do believe that I really do believe that because the, the pain just went um and yeah so within a day I, I just thought it's still there so I went to the doctors went to the hospital saw a consultant um went for a biopsy and I think once you've done once you've been on this journey even though the biopsy they don't tell you then and there and the ultrasound lady you know the radiographer she's very professional but I knew I knew it was cancer I knew she knew and she knew I knew she knew as well so there was kind of this like this look between us like she was she was saying right the consultant will call you back next week for the results of the biopsy but I knew she knew um and so yeah I've got a grade three um tumor in the same side literally probably a couple of inches away from where the first lump was um but thankfully so I had all the scans I've had full um, a CT scan and MRI and um, bone dent bone scans on, in nuclear medicine um, and those have all come back clear so as my friend said as shit news goes it's good shit news because it's literally just in the breast so it is literally just grade three breast cancer um, and I've got surgery we're recording on Saturday I've got surgery this coming Thursday it was supposed to be Monday, but they rescheduled it because they've got an urgent case. So it's now Thursday this week. Um, so the little the little buggers coming out on Thursday. Um, and then I will see my oncologist again um, and see where we, we where we go from here. Um, obviously, this time I'm just doing it. I'm doing it without Mark. And that was the hardest thing. I think the fact that I got cancer again wasn't what upset me initially it was just the fact that mark wasn't here that was the most upsetting thing um that i hadn't got mark this time around and i was on my own um but i've got a lot of friends a lot of very good friends um and good family so i, I you know i'm just kind of i'm fine with it again i'm just okay whatever happens whatever i have to have um, what will be will be and I will get through it again the universe will look after me he's up there and he will definitely look after me he better be anyway I'll just tell you <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you up there Mr Hadcroft you better be looking after me um, and so yeah and it is it is you know like last year was supposed to be um, the year I was going traveling and gonna have fun with my best friend whose husband also passed away the same year as mine um, and obviously Covid hit and you know everybody's lives were changed so that's not I'm not going to feel sorry for myself about that one but then we said right this year we're going to do things we're going to you know 
go and live in Spain for part of the year. We've got big plans. And again, now, obviously, the universe has got a completely different idea and different plan. And um, we, we've got a bit of a cancer journey again. But again, I think it's happened for a reason because my coaching is now, I'm just now going to pivot. I just feel that maybe this is because my positive attitude and the way that I, you know, my mindfulness and my universe and spiritual beliefs that I was maybe meant to share that with people that are going through on the same journey. And maybe that it's just a sign and a nudge from the universe that all the work that I've been doing over the past six years, five years, uh, and now to sort of help other women going through this but cope with it differently if that makes sense does that make sense yeah it does I, I and it's kind of interesting because you started this whole conversation by saying the very first time you went through breast cancer you were not really public you did not really you know <laughs> take to social media and and so now you're kind of entering it in a different way and, and to your point maybe maybe that's your calling maybe that's what you're intended to do and 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 share what you've learned um you know a, along the way so speaking of sharing what you've learned I always ask every guest for a Tina tip and you know I, I get that this is about mental health it's kind of where mental health intersects with cancer but your Tina tip can be anything from anything practical that you experience to the more emotional, um, to the more spiritual side. So would yeah. love to know what one or two things of advice you would love to give the listeners. I think I've got, I've got a practical tip and I've got, um, a spiritual tip. Um, and my practical tip is actually based on the fact that I really do believe that the mind is an incredibly powerful thing the mind only does what we tell it to do. Um, it reacts to the pictures we put in our head and the words that we say to ourselves. And so the big thing that I did or didn't do during chemo was I never read the side effects of any drug at all. And I still don't know. Mark read everything. Mark and Fortune, maybe this is the mistake we made. <laughs> I, I just pushed him in. He read all the side effects. And I didn't have I didn't have them in my head. I didn't have the fact that they might happen in my head. Um, and so there was a day I remember I brushed my teeth and I went downstairs and I said, oh, my gums are bleeding. He was like, yeah, that's OK. That's a side effect of this drug. And so I was like, OK, that's fine. We'll just crack on and but no worries. So I do think that don't read the side effects. If you can give somebody else the job of worrying about the side effects, because if they're not in your head, then I don't believe that they will, they've got as much chance of affecting you. Yeah. So that's tip number one. Um, and I do that now. I just had my COVID vaccine, my second COVID vaccine and sitting surrounded by everybody worrying about the side effects. I literally went, I'm not going to get them. And they looked at me and I was like, I'm not because I don't believe them. I'm not reading them and I'm not going to get them. And I didn't, I was absolutely fine. Um, so it works. It works for me anyway. <laughs> and then my second my second tip is um a really weird one but it's learning to breathe properly um i i was taught um i was actually i was taught how to breathe through injections by the very wise sister um in one of the hospitals that i've had treatment and you know how when you have a needle you hold your breath and it hurts and that's because you're holding your breath and you're tensing and by just breathing through everything, everything is so much easier, right down to pain, literal pain, emotional pain, anything really, by learning how to breathe properly, breathing from your belly, and, and really allowing yourself, your thoughts and your minds to focus on your breath, everything does, for, even if it's for a couple of minutes, to feel a lot better, and, and I teach some of my clients how to to hold on to emotions. I've got a, a, a client who suffers with panic attacks and anxiety. And I say, just breathe through it, hold it as if you're giving it a hug and don't fight it, just hold it. And you will find that within a couple of minutes, it dissipates and it's true. So breathing, breathing is my second, which is a bit of a random one because we all think we know how to breathe. Um, and we do know how to breathe clearly else we wouldn't be here but 
there is a, a way of breathing through um, holding emotions and breathing through them that just makes it much easier to manage them. No, I think that's beautiful. I mean, I learned a lot through yoga to just like yeah. to breathe, like, and it, it is so important. And even now in COVID, when I find myself, you know, kind of stressed or, or worried about things, you know, sometimes it's just simply going for a walk and, and taking a few deep breaths. And like, it, it is, it's so powerful. It's so, so simple, but so powerful. And I think that we underestimate it so many times. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I just, the taking deep breaths and just enjoying the literally going out and listening to the birds. Yeah, I used to listen to podcasts when I went for walks, but I find now because I, I because I am so mindful um, that I cannot have those two things going on. I cannot be in nature and enjoying a walk and listening to a podcast because they kind of like fight each other. Um, and so I find that I literally just have to be out in nature and just enjoy nature and and not doing something else. And you're yeah. right. It's just it's it's. Being outside is my happy place, no matter where it is. Yeah, I've definitely found that in COVID times. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah, where, I, I where I recharge for sure. It's, so, everybody's meant to go for walks in, in England. Nobody walks anywhere here. And, and now all of a sudden you see people walking, just walking to the shop or walk, going for a walk with their family. It's yeah. like, it's, they've never done that. They go, they go to the local shop in the car and now they're just like, going for random walks yeah it's lovely so it there is. are positives to everything yeah I would agree I think yeah well if people want to find more Nikki um now that you are more active um what kind of social medias or, or where can they connect with you yeah I'm I my business is called just to be more um and so on social on Instagram I'm um just underscore be more so that's b-e-m-o-r-e um, my website is just dash b dash more um, and on, on Facebook you'll find me under just be more as well um, so yeah that's that's where I am that's where I hang out um, and and I'm quite new so I am new to this this world of um, breasties as as I heard it called and I hadn't called it that um, so I am new to this world of breasties I'm trying to um, reach out and just I just feel like I said that it's um the universe had this plan for me and this plan all along was to take everything that I know about coaching NLP spirituality mindfulness is amazing as well mindfulness is just something that I think everybody should be taught kids at school should be taught to sort of um live with mindfulness as, as in their core as part of them um and so all of those things um, I teach as well as as well as um, rapid transformational therapy. Um, so yeah, come and find me. Come and hang out with me. Um, come and be my one of my one of my people on social media. <laughs> well, Nikki, thank you so much. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have you. I mean, I will have you in my prayers. I will be that cheerleader for you on the sidelines too. As you, as you go into this next journey, um, you will be in my thoughts and in my heart. And I truly wish you all the best and wish you tons of signs that, you know, give you peace, peace and love and happiness. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Tina. It's been great.